The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. Uh, we're going to turn to our Bibles now. If you don't have a Bible, we've got them in the back. Uh, we are in the book of Isaiah for our Christmas Advent series. Um, our Christmas Advent series, we pick four topics, peace, love, joy, and hope, and then we look at a book of the Bible together and see how God has woven the Christmas story of peace, love, joy, and hope, uh, peace, joy, love, and hope into that story, and how God has shown those things to us in Jesus and made them real for us in Jesus. And we are here at the end of the book of Isaiah 65. So if you're not familiar with the Bible, uh, Isaiah 65 is kind of like right in the middle of the book, a little bit to the right. Um, Isaiah 65, we get a picture of the end. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read these verses, we're going to pray, ask for God's help to understand them, and then we're going to start looking at them together. Isaiah 65, verses 17 to 25. This is the Lord speaking. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be uh, a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem. I will be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree, the days of my people and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. For they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they yet are speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall each draw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in my holy mountain, says the Lord. Let's pray. Father, as we look at this passage together, this glorious picture of the future, this world that you will create and live among us with, and I, find, I pray, Father, that you would give us your spirit now, that we would be desperate for the hope you provide for us in this passage, that we would experience your gladness and joy in what you are doing to accomplish in making all things new. And we pray all of this because of who Jesus is. Amen. I have a, um, if anybody knows me, I have a bit of a quirk about how I watch emails at home or wa watch movies at home. I, um, when I watch a movie at home, I, d I can't handle the stress of what's going to happen to characters in the movie or TV show. And so I will look up what's going to happen on the Wikipedia page for any movie that I watch. <laughs> I mean, it could be, Co I mean, it could be po Coco, it could be Batman, whatever. I need to know who I'm investing in and what's going to happen to them. And so... I look up the end while I'm watching the movie, and I enjoy that. Some of you enjoy the tension. I just can't handle the tension of, like, what's going to happen. And sometimes it's just because I'm so forgetful. I've seen the movie ten times, and I still don't remember 
who do I want to live, who do I want to die, you know, all those things. Um, this passage, in fact, actually ends up being like a bit of a Wikipedia preview of all the things that are going on in the Bible and in our lives, and they be, it begins to kind of be a bit of a, a snuck-in way of providing hope for understanding what's going on in your life so that you get a little bit of a sense of like, okay, where is this going, right? What is going to be the end result of this life of mine and what's going on in the Bible, right? This, this, uh, this passage provides a bit of a, a poetic picture of the future, a hope package that slipped in maybe under the tree of, Chris, of Isaiah's Christmas passages for us because we've talked about um, peace, right? David preached for us last week on peace, um, how God and how Jesus' name is our peace from Isaiah 11. We've, uh, David Pickney from River of Grace preached for us from Isaiah 53 on the love of God and how Christ's cross is the ultimate purpose of Christmas. That is how God's love is made, made true for us. And then we looked at a few weeks ago the joy of Christmas from Isaiah and how Jesus is himself the foundation of all true joy. And in this passage, we get a bit of a wiki summary of the future to come where those three things are laid out in brighter colors and deeper waters and fuller measures than we could possibly imagine. That is why Isaiah is filmed this passage here at the end of this book, because just like Isaiah's audience at the time when he, he was pastoring people, they had a lot of tensions going on in their lives. Uh, they didn't necessarily have Christmas, but they had a lot of tensions going on with political dynamics family dynamics, struggles going on, and they needed a little bit of some hope, right? Christmas is a time of year that honestly reminds us of all the things that we struggle with at times. Um, our friends here at the Hope Center, they have the Alcathon that goes, it's a 28-hour provision of time, basically starts Christmas Eve, goes all the way through Christmas because it is a time where people struggle with the tensions of life and the ways in which their addictions has caused them to struggle with their life. And God has provided this passage here as a way of giving us hope of wrestling through the tensions of our lives, the things that cause us to struggle, so that we can see a future ahead of us. In this passage, what we're looking at is, in effect, this idea, this biblical idea of renewal, right? Why do things need to be made new, renewed? Well, the Bible, the, the way the story begins, at the beginning of the Bible, you have Adam and Eve. Um, and they say to God, you know what, your laws are good, but we're going to rewrite them, we're going to do this better on our own terms, and that breaks the entire creation. Everything gets broken. And God comes in and says, while you have rejected me and rebelled against my law, I'm going to renew what you've broken and make it new. And so here we get in Isaiah a picture of what God's renewing, this future at the end, this wiki summary, you might say, of the future to come. And so... Just like Isaiah's people, we who need hope need a picture of what is going to be where this life is going and what is going to happen at the end. We all want to know the end of the story. And so here we have in Isaiah 65 this basic idea, God joyfully renews all things for all who hope in Christ. That's the main point of this, this passage. God joyfully renews all things for all who hope in Christ. Right, that, that's the big picture of what's going on here. And I'm excited to kind of work through this together because that God joyfully renews part might surprise you. You might think, okay, well, you know, he's God. He can kind of do whatever he wants. And so he can just kind of say renewed. 
But Isaiah 65 gives us a picture of a God who's happy to renew things, happy to renew you, happy to renew all things, and then make us a happy people with him in a happy world forever. And so we're going to work through this together. And we're going to be, I want us to kind of lean in on this joyful side of God's renewal work at the end of all things. And so we're going to pick up here. See, we're going to say, look at God's joyful renew, joy, joyfully renews creation, verses 17 to 18. God joyfully renews his city, 19 to 20. And then God joyfully renews culture, verse 21 to 25. We're going to pick up here in verse 17 and 18. God joyfully renews creation. For those who hope in Christ, joy, God joyfully renews creation. Let's pick up here verse 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. Let's pause there. Let's make a note here. The beginning of verse 17, line one, for behold, right? So this is a, hey, pay attention, neon lights, 3D glasses, pay attention to this part. For behold, I create new heavens and new earth. Not we, not you, who's speaking, this is God. I create new heavens and new earth. This is my terms. I do it my way. And it is a reminder of when God says at the beginning of Genesis 1 where he says, and the Lord created the heavens and the earth, right? This is the original creation that was broken. He just speaks and it comes into existence. And then remember how we talked about how Adam and Eve broke things by redesigning God's law. Okay, God's law 2.0 doesn't ever work out. They broke things. And then what does God come in to do? He says, I'm going to redeem what you have broken. And if we're going to kind of, we're going to zip through the Old Testament real quick. What God does is he, sa- he then says, I'm going to save you. And he brings them out of Egypt, out of their oppression. And he sets them in a tabernacle, right? He says, okay, here's where I'm going to meet with you, right? I used to dwell with you. You broke my law. We're on opposite sides of the field. I've saved you. Now we're on similar sides of the field. My tabernacle is where we're going to meet. That's in Exodus 40. That's where God meets with his people. And then we're going to zip up. And then here we come to to Christmas story where little Mary is sitting in her room. And an angel comes and says, you shall conceive Mary without a husband without any of that, and you shall conceive a child that will be the king of kings and the, new man, a new, and the new man that recreates all things. And the tie together of those things is you're kind of like, okay, Jacob, that was a lot. In Genesis 1, it says, verse one, chapter 1, verse 2, that the Spirit hovered over the waters. The Spirit was the one that led God's people and dwelt in the tabernacle with God's people. And then here we have in Luke Chapter 1, verse 35, the Holy Spirit will overshadow Mary, which is the same word used for the tabernacle, which is the same picture from Genesis 1. God is, by his own initiative, in his own way, recreating, renewing all things in a miraculous way, not sort of a, oh, okay, I kind of understand how that happened. It's like a virgin has a child in the same way, and that makes as much sense as All things are created by the word of God out of nothing. Because it goes to show God is the one that's writing the story. He is the one in charge of how things happen. He is the one that is making it happen. And what is he going to say then? What's the next thing he says? For behold, I create a new heavens and a new 
new earth, right? I'm going to make all things new on my own terms, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. You're like, okay, well, that's a weird segue. How does that come to happen? What does that matter in this new heavens and new earth? Well, in the biblical terms, remembering something is a continuation of its power, right? God regularly through the Old Testament says, remember my ways, remember who I am, remember what I've done for you, remember what I've accomplished, remember who I am. Because God is saying, remember my ongoing influence and power in your life. And so this is not saying, when we all get to heaven, we're going to forget who each other are, we're going to have to wear name tags, we're going to have to like go back and look through the historical record, oh, that's right, I remember, I, you know, I paid my bills or whatever, and we had this argument whenever. No, 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 you're, you're going to remember that stuff. But it's saying, all the things that mess up and screw up your life right now, all the sins and weaknesses and failures, they will no longer have a powerful influence over your life in heaven. You will will remember our mistakes. We'll remember how God used them to make his name look great. But we will no longer be defined or under the power of our sin and failures in heaven. That is what's being said here. You will no longer be ruled by those things. In the new heavens and new earth, it will all be new. And so, verse 18, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. Remember, this is a picture of the forever kingdom to come. And the Jerusalem that he is talking about, we'll get into in the next section. But it is a city of his people And he renews them for what? To be a joy and a gladness. For who? Who is he making them a joy and a gladness for? I'm making you new. I'm making all things new and I'm making you a joy and a gladness. For who? Is it for God? For God to look at his people and say, I always knew you could be like this. I always knew that you could be this renewed version of you. I always knew that this is who you could shine as. Or is it a gladness for each other? The same ideas. I always knew that you could know a Jacob that's not a jerk. (laughs) I always knew that you could have a pastor that doesn't fail. (laughs) But not today. I think it's a bit of both. You see, it says here that they will be a joy and a gladness, almost as though the whole creation, the binding agent of everything that God is going to do in the, re- in the renewal of all things, the binding agent, the cement between the bricks is gladness and joy, right? The way I, has anybody ever had a Krispy Kreme donut? Anybody have a Krispy Kreme donut? Okay, if you haven't had a Krispy Kreme donut, you are missing out in life, and I would glad, gladly drive to Portland, Maine, buy a box, drive them back to you, put them in the microwave for eight seconds so that you can have one because they have to be hot. But the way I describe a Krispy Kreme donut is as an infinite circle of gladness glazed in joy. <laughs> That's the way you describe a Krispy Kreme donut. That idea, not necessarily Krispy Kreme donuts being the, the cement of heaven, Krispy Kreme joy will be the cement, the binding agent of all things that God renews in heaven. That is what heaven will be like. It will shine with the gladness and joy that we all, you know, we see in the child's face on Christmas morning. That will be the way all creation feels. Your hearts, your cells, your mind, everything will be renewed with joy and gladness in heaven. So what will this be like? What will that be like? Have you, ever, have you guys seen um, 
these videos that have kind of been popping up on the internet of Enchroma glasses. Do you know what I'm talking about? Enchroma glasses for folks who um, are colorblind, and they put them on, and they suddenly, like, they're like, oh, my gosh, that's the color red. You've been wearing red this whole time? I've known you for 30 years. You know, like, they, they just can't, they, they, they can't imagine what they've been missing out on in terms of the color scheme, and then they put these glasses on, and boom, here they are. here's all these colors in front of me. I think that those sort of moments where people had these, or, like, you know, uh, deaf installation devices, and like, I can hear my mother's voice. That's what the new creation is a picture of in small measure. You will look at a tree, and you will see a beauty and design and how the leaves sway in the wind and how it kind of teeters and totters and sings a song of joy for the glory of God in a way that even in your most contemplative moments you would have never seen. You will look at the face of your friends and see a health and a joy and a gladness you could not possibly imagine now, even when on your best prom date, you know, or your wedding pictures or whatever. You will see creation in a way. You will experience it. So it's just, just think about the five senses, right? Sight. You'll see things in a way that you would have never thought. You'll hear tones and vibrations and sounds that you would have never thought. When you hear like this beautiful symphony for the first time, you're like, I never heard the sounds put together that way. All of creation will sing with a resounding sound that you have never thought of or heard of or could have possibly imagined, <laughs> right? You will smell that Krispy Kreme donut in a way that you could never have thought of, right? Your senses will be, you know, uh, awakened in a way to delight in the world around you. You will have, there will be sensations and touches, right? You'll, you'll pick up a ball of snow, and not only will it not give you frostbite, <laughs> but you'll be able to take, you know, wow, the, the, there is a way in which this world is designed for glory and gladness and joy that even on my best day, I could have never imagined snow to taste and feel and touch like this. Some of you are more intellectual people. You will read books in a way and you will make connections without the sluggishness of almost falling asleep on them. And you will make logical connections. You will see the beauty of an argument in a way that you would have never thought that you could see, right? You'll be able to read the works of Jonathan Edwards and actually understand them, right? You, you will have relationships that are good and beautiful and healthy. You'll have relationships between men and women that are good and beautiful and healthy, right? You will have emotions that are not wrecked or damaged. I'm just trying to go down the, a very brief list of when it says a new heavens and a new earth, I'm trying to cover a little bit of what that looks like. And if you're getting a taste of, that sounds good, you're then getting the hope that this passage wants for you. And it's at the hands of a God who's glad to do it. <laughs> right? He's glad to do this for you. All right. At the center of all of this is a God who is eager, who's joyful to renew all things. So we've looked at how God renews his creation, which pick up here in verse 19 and 20. God joyfully renews his city. Verse 19 and 20, I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old 
and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. Okay, what is going on in these passages? It seems a little confusing. I want to remind us that at the beginning, this is a metaphor, a poetic picture of the final days, right? So when you're talking about metaphor, let's remember, uh, do you guys, uh, Gardens of the Galaxy, Drax, right? Nothing gets over my head. I have reflexes that are too fast. I would catch it, right? Metaphors are pictures of things to come using our experience, not necessarily literal expressions of things to come. So verse 19, I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad of my people. This is a picture of who God's people are. They will be totally and completely his. There will be nobody who is in the city of God. There will be nobody in the city of God who walks by another allegiance. They will all be allied to Jesus himself. Right? They will all be on his team, fully and completely top to bottom. They will be his people. Um, one commenter, uh, Matier, he says, there, will be, there is no longer a spiritual schizophrenia in the community of God. A spiritual schizophrenia. That's a great description of my experience in my life. Right? There will no longer be a spiritual schizophrenia. They will all be my people, it says verse 19. No more, then he goes on to say, shall there be heard the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. The sound of weeping comes from sorrow, right? Sad experiences, distressing, troubling times, or the cry of distress. The cry of distress is being the victim of an offense, right? There will no longer be things that are inflicted upon us. So there's no longer internal turmoil. There's no longer external turmoil. The city of God is renewed. It is his people through and through, and they know him. Now, let's pick up here verse 20. This is where things might get a little confusing for us. No more, no more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old. Let's stop there. So, let me kind of pick, pull back here. Some of you are uh, going to be familiar with these terms, and some are not. And let me just kind of give a brief overview. Uh, sometimes this passage will be used to um, teach something along the lines of what's called post-millennialism. I know that you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't know we were going to get some big vocab words this morning. Don't worry, King's Cross, we love big vocab words, but I, des I describe them, okay? The millennial perspective comes from uh, Revelation 20 at the very end of the book, where it talks about there will be a thousand-year reign of Christ, and so Christians for thousands of years, ironically, have argued does Jesus return at the beginning of that millennium period? Is that millennium period a metaphorical idea, or does he come at the end of that time period, right? And some of you are beginning to check out. That's okay. Hang with me, all right? So what they will look at, post-millennial people will say, okay, there's going to be a bunch of renewal that happens. The world is going to all be made right. There's going to be Christian laws and Christian government, and everything's going to be Christian all over the place for a thousand years, and then Jesus is going to return. And they look at this verse, and they say, see, because... There are people who are having babies, people who are living old life, people who are not dying, or people who are dying at old age in this kind of period of the future. Um, and that's what they would use this verse to say is a picture of the post-millennial perspective. Here's my, my only two cents of that. Let me just put a pin on that and say, we're going to talk about the end time stuff this next year. I figured, hey, we're going to go through an election year, so why don't we uh, preach about... <laughs> Sorry. I'm glad you thought that was funny. I, <laughs> I, um, we're going to talk about all that stuff this next year. Don't worry. And it's, it's, it's not going to be that bad, I promise. Um, I just want to remind us, this is a poetic picture using our experiences to give expression to eternal realities. So if it is saying here, 
in verse 17 and 18 that this is a forever picture. It's not saying that forever in heaven there's going to be babies and death. It's using experiences that we have now to give voice to what heaven will be like, what the new creation will be like. And so when it says, for example, no more shall it be, shall be in an infant who lives but a few days, it is to say death will no longer have dominion over the innocent. Death will no longer have a say or a snuffing out effect of those things which should come to reality. Death will no, death will no longer color in black on those things which are innocent. That's what it's saying, right? And then an old man who does not fill out his days, right? So we're not saying in heaven you're all going to live to 100 years old and you're going to die. That's not what it's saying either. You all know the experience of, for example, the 27 Club. Do you know what the 27 Club is? All these musicians and artists who die, like brilliant people who die at 27 years old, right? And you're just kind of like, they could have done so much more, right? That disappointment, that destruction, no longer will that be the experience of heaven. So it's using experiences that we have, right? Going to French funerals, going to the funerals of our friends' children as just that, ugh, this is not right, and saying heaven will not have that. That is not what will, what will be a part of your experience in heaven. When God renews all things, he removes the power of the curse, which is why we paused and we'll just finish out verse 20. In the sinner, a hundred years old shall be accursed. This is again the reality that the curse will ultimately of death and sin have its full effect for those outside of Christ. What this verse is speaking to is the experience of why does so-and-so get away with it? And this verse is saying, in heaven, all accounts are settled. It's either in Christ or it's on you. But nobody gets away with anything. All justice is satisfied. So it's picking up this picture and basically saying, if possible for somebody to escape God's justice for 100 years, they would finally meet the end of the curse of God upon them for their sin. That's what's being said here. So, let me lay out a few things that this should stir in us in terms of God's renewing hope, and then we'll move on to verse 25, 21 through 25. Let this hope of God's renewed city, his renewed people, not simply be a matter of the future. If this is what heaven is going to be like, the kingdom of God fully realized, Lord, would we be a people that are a healing city within the city for the purposes of showing people the renewing power of Jesus Christ? Would we be a city within Manchester, within Derry, wherever you live, that live as an echo of the days to come, of the renewing city to come, where death does not have the final say over relationships and our lives. We will suffer death that we do not anticipate. I'm not saying that we're not going to have death in our church. What I am saying is that may it be upon us that we would live as people who are a healing place of grace, that we would be a place 
where no cries of distress or the sound of weeping are not met with the community of grace among us. At the same time, for those of you who have been disappointed by the community of grace, I pray that you would have the compassion upon your brothers and sisters knowing there is a city to come that will never disappoint. King's Cross will disappoint you. I will disappoint you. There will be ways in which we do not meet up to each other's expectations. That is because heaven is the place where all sin, all weakness and failure are removed. This is not heaven, even though the Pats will win the Super Bowl. Verse, second thing I want us to think about. The curse cannot be removed apart from Christ. For those among us that have not trusted in Christ, the curse will remain upon you until you trust in Christ. And then his renewing power will work in a progressively in a progressive way to roll back the power of Satan, sin, and death in your life. And so I would invite you, trust in Christ for the removal of this curse upon you, that you would know this renewing power, this joyful renewing power of God in Jesus. So here let's turn to verse 21 to 25, and God joyfully renews culture. Maybe this is a bit of an odd segue, but just step back with me for a second. The passage has described God's renewal of all things, right? This whole world made new. And then in the midst of all this world that's been made new, he's made a new city that will live out a certain way, and that certain way of living is the culture, right? The culture that lives out. What is a culture of of a renewed God like? So we get a bit of a picture of that here in 21 through 25. We're going to do verses 21 through 23 first, and then we'll swing to verse 24 and 25. This is what God's joyful renewal of culture looks like. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the, people, shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. They shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Let's pause here. The idea, the general idea that's going on here is fruitfulness and permanence, right? These are the things that we long for in our lives, right? This is why it's so frustrating to get after, after getting a job, being there for three months, and we're laying people off. I was trying to be productive. I thought this was going to be my job for a while. Well, sorry. Bottom line, got to cut people out. I, I thought that this relationship was going to last forever, and I'm getting ghosted. Right? You can think of all the ways in which you experience fruitlessness and impermanence, right? Heaven is a place where investments matter and investments last, right? You build something, and it continues, right? How many of us have started great projects that have nobody else show up, and then it's just kind of like, well, I guess it just kind of fizzles out. I don't know. Right? So when it says they shall build houses and inhabit them, right, it's not just saying like each of y'all are going to get a mansion and then you're going to build it and it's going to last forever. I guess that's not what's in view here. What's in view here is giving your life to a project and you're going to see it exponentially increase and matter. Right? 
This is a picture of heaven, so don't get this as a picture of um, name and claim it type stuff, you know? So let's just kind of kick that one out the door. Right? They shall build and another, in, they shall not build and another inhabit, right? Many of us know the experience of I'm the one that proposed that project, I'm the one that did the work there, and then why are they getting the promotion, right? They shall be like the days of a tree. They shall be like the days of a tree, the days of my people. I'm not sure how many of you have been down south, but down south they have these things called wild oaks. There's these gigantic oak trees. Maybe you've seen pictures of them. There's these gigantic oak trees, and they are huge, and they just like, they're wild. And if they're along the coast of the Gulf of Mexico, uh, they will last forever because they've been through enough hurricanes where those suckers are, are wrought iron and they're beautiful. That is what this is a picture of. God is making you, he will renew you into a people that will last forever and that your days are going to be like the days of a beautiful tree, a, a beautiful evergreen or a beautiful wild oak that just last forever and ever in his presence, soaking in the rays of his love and goodness and grace. That is what he is giving us a picture of of fruitfulness and permanence. And then verse 24 to 25, before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like an ox. The dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. And what's being pictured here is a picture of oneness and harmony versus the chaos of sin and death. Right, the oneness of harm. Yeah, you've got, okay, well, lions are carnivores. How do they eat straw? Again, not a literal picture. This is a metaphor, right? Lions shall eat right next to the things that they hunt. There shall be a, there will be harmony and union rather than the chaos of sin and death, right? And there will be a union between God and his people. Verse 24, they shall, before they call, I will answer, right? It's kind of like that sense of like, you know, like, uh, your mother, when she knows like there's something going on before you even say it, she kind of preemptively knows is that motherly sense. The curse, again, is mentioned here. Did you see that? The dust of the serpent's food. We're going to swing back on that. The dust of the serpent. This is the curse that Satan gets for tempting Adam and Eve into disobedience and breaking God's law. Right? His curse is that he shall eat the dust of the earth forever. He shall continually eat that which is not satisfying. So let's step back here and we'll kind of move towards our conclusion. Because I want us to see here, last week Dave preached for us about how Jesus' name, who he is, he's the king of peace and creates a kingdom of peace, is our hope for the future. What is laid out here is the kingdom of heaven, the peace of God, the hope of God, the renewal of God, of all things, and in the middle of it is the king himself. We all have this longing for this, and as our culture continues to progress, they want the same thing, don't they? 
don't we as a culture? We, we want peace and harmony, right? How many times do I see on the news bemoaning the, the combativeness within politics or the continual disharmony and disunity and dysfunction of our culture as a city or as a nation? We fight against each other, you know, comments about immigration, comments about, you know, drug policies, comments about this or that, right? All of that is stemming from what Isaiah is doing right here, right? The book of Isaiah is a picture of how God himself has, prov- has prompted his people to be the most self-evaluative. Like we comment, Isaiah basically says, we comment most harshly on ourselves because we know who we're supposed to be. We know who we're supposed to be as the people of God. Imagine that continually progressing. Our culture basically wants the kingdom of God without the king, right? They want all of these things, right? They, we, we want harmony. We, we want unity. We want renewal and prosperity and goodness, don't we? As a culture, we've rejected the king. We want those things without the king himself. Which leaves the question, at the heart of this, how is it that we get from this day to that day fully realized? And it is by way of the regular reminder that there is a curse upon us that must be removed. Right? <laughs> you remember that, right? Right, he, he says that, right, verse 20, right, the, the accursed shall be settled. And then here in verse 25, the dust of the serpent's food, right, that is the curse of, that is just basically a summary statement for the curse of sin upon Satan and the world. How is that curse removed? Here we land again at the very purpose of Christmas. The reason Jesus was born by the renewed surprising, creative act of God is that he intends to renew all things, but he does it by way of a dusty carpenter from a backwoods town in Palestine who walks up to Jerusalem and gets run over by our curse so that we get showered in God's blessing. That's how that happens. The kingdom of God is led by a king who takes on the curse for rejecting the king. He takes on your curse. What are the ways in which you have stiff-armed, rejected, and disobeyed God? We don't drag those out to make you feel bad. We drag those out so that you can see the sting of conviction, the sting of the curse that Jesus gladly, to pull from this passage, he gladly took on those things so that you could be renewed by faith in him. That's, that's the, the way from this day to that day where all things are made new in him. The curse must be reversed. And the only way in which it is renewed or reversed is through the death and resurrection of Christ. Let me give one final thought here. This is a picture of all the sad things in our lives becoming untrue. I don't know how many of you are Tolkien fans, but one of my favorite lines from the end of the book is when Samuel G. wakes up and he says, is it true that all sad things are becoming untrue? All the sadness of the world is coming untrue. What represents for you the end of the year that is sad and broken? 
not the way you intended it to be. This is a picture of a hopeful future where all sad things will come untrue. We got Tim Keller, our favorite pastor, even better than me, saying everything sad is going to come untrue and it will somehow be greater for having once been broken and lost. You see, the future that God lays out for us is all the sadness of our lives will become untrue because God renews all things for those who hope in Christ. So as we, as we look towards celebrating Christmas together, as we look towards celebrating this moment of giving gifts, consider this great gift that God's given us in Isaiah 65. He gladly gives it. He's glad to make all things new. He is glad to invite us into his family. He's glad to invite us to the table. He's glad to do it because he is a happy God who's happy about renewing you and seeing the renewed version of you in the new heavens and city and culture that he is so eager to bring into reality. So let's pray for that. Father, you are a joyful God who renews all things for those who hope in Christ. And so, Father, I pray that for those among us that have hoped in Jesus, have seen how he has taken our curse for us and found life in him, that we would experience this morning a birth of hope, a a birth of knowing we have a joyful God who renews all things so that we would find life and hope and peace and joy in Jesus himself. We pray all of this in the confident name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.